Acosta out. The Secretary of Labor is resigning. We have a recap of this and other stories from the White House, including a victory for pro-lifers. Military budget. How the House of Representatives is attempting to block the Trump administration's policy on transgender troops. Fight for the unborn. An update on pro-abortion efforts by the National Education Association. And Restoration Project. A look inside work being done to a church in Rome dedicated to St. Jerome. On EWTN News Nightly for Friday, July 12, 2019. Good evening from Washington, D.C., and thank you for joining us for News from a Catholic Perspective. I'm Wyatt Goolsby, in for Lauren Ashburn. President Trump is losing another member of his cabinet. Labor Secretary Alex Acosta is resigning over his handling of a 2008 plea deal with financier Jeffrey Epstein, who is accused of sexually abusing underage girls. White House correspondent Mark Irons joins us with more. He also asked the president about a pro-life victory. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Wyatt. I asked President Trump if he's trying to completely defund Planned Parenthood. You'll hear his response to that and other topics like this weekend's immigration raids. But the big surprise came when Secretary Alex Acosta announced his resignation with President Trump by his side. Uh, but I just want to let you know, this was him, not me, because I'm with him. He was a, he's a tremendous talent. President Trump says he didn't want to see Labor Secretary Alex Acosta resign. Acosta is under scrutiny for overseeing a 12-year-old plea deal that put sex offender Jeffrey Epstein in jail for 13 months but kept the billionaire from federal charges. I do not think it is right and fair for this administration's Labor Department to have Epstein as the focus rather than the incredible economy that we have today. And so I called the president this morning. I told him that I thought the right thing was to step aside. President Trump also talked about his decision not to push further for a citizenship question on the 2020 census, saying he'll rely instead on information from loan applications and Social Security. We have information that's probably more accurate than the information we could get by going in and asking somebody, are you a citizen? A lot of people aren't going to tell the truth. This Sunday, his Immigration and Customs Enforcement Department plans to conduct raids on undocumented immigrants in the U.S. People come into our country illegally, we're taking them out legally. It's very simple. The president adds it's not something he likes doing. And yesterday, a federal court upheld a Trump administration policy keeping federal family planning money away from abortion providers like Planned Parenthood. We asked the president to weigh in. Yesterday, you got a win in the Ninth Circuit Court over Title X funding. What's your reaction? I mean, are you trying to completely defund Planned Parenthood? They had a big win yesterday. We have some very big cases having to do with that. We'll see where it will go, but that was a big win. Students for Life calls the Title X court ruling a victory that ensures family planning appointments are not misused to market abortions at taxpayers' expense. As for President Trump, he left the White House today for a fundraising trip in Ohio and Wisconsin, where former House Speaker Paul Ryan, that's his home state, he's from Wisconsin. And now those two are at odds, President Trump and Ryan. Trump today called him a baby and a terrible speaker who let us down. Wyatt. White House correspondent Mark Irons reporting. Thanks, Mark. And coming up later in the newscast, analysis of the president's social media summit yesterday from pro-lifer Allison Centifante, who attended the meeting. 
House Democrats moved to halt two of President Trump's key policies with amendments to a defense bill. They want to roll back President Trump's order on transgender troops. They also want to stop the administration from shifting military money to the wall. One Democrat says it's the most progressive bill of its kind put forward in more than 50 years. Correspondent Jason Calvey tells us about the controversies. Jason? Wyatt, the, it's called the National Defense Authorization Act, and it's usually bipartisan. It sets American goals for the military, what Congress wants to see the military do. But the House Republican leader says Democrats are now playing politics and promoting a radical agenda. President Trump limited the service of transgender troops, only allowing them to join if they serve in their biological sex. Democrats try to once again allow them to enlist. We know what transgender service members bring to the fight. Let them bring it. The House passed another proposal from California Democrat Jackie Speer. It would require the Department of Defense train recruits about family planning. She tweets those in active duty have a rate of unplanned pregnancy 60% higher than the general population. Today, Republicans accuse Democrats of putting politics before troops. Soldiers have to go through all types of training, right? They need to focus on shoot, move, and communicate. Right. I don't think injecting partisan uh, kind of angles on on family planning is appropriate for the Department of Defense. Again, I say the Department of Defense and defending this country uh, to do. But all lawmakers did agree on one thing to help persecuted people in Iraq. It's about human dignity, the space for tolerance and religious freedom. These are principles of civilization itself. Catholic lawmaker Jeff Fortenberry's proposal calls for the integration of Yazidis and Christians into the Iraqi military and calls for their safe return home. You see right where the fighting took place with ISIS, the people who have gone back are in very vulnerable circumstances. Uh, it's unsettled. ISIS is defeated, but they are not gone. They could regenerate. The bill also gives the military a 3% pay raise. Now, a separate version passed the Senate, very bipartisan, a vote of 86 to 8. So what happens now is members of the House, members of the Senate will come together, craft a bill that can pass both chambers. Wyatt? Jason, I also understand Republicans said they wanted more money for equipment like aircraft carriers. The president himself asked for $750 billion for defense spending. The House is only giving him $733 billion. But the Democratic chair of the House Armed Services Committee calls it the largest defense bill in U.S. history. Wyatt? Capitol Hill correspondent Jason Calvey reporting. Thanks, Jason. The House of Representatives overwhelmingly passes a bill to help victims of 9-11. It makes sure the victim's fund doesn't run out of money. So many people have died and will die, and that's, that's the reality. This isn't going to... Uh, uh, keep many people from dying. It's going to give them some comfort and it's going to help their families. But it's, uh, again, it just, it, this is a brutal day on 9-11, but this is a very, it's a day of justice. And we're, we're giving uh, and extending to those who, and their families who, you know, risk their lives after 9-11. Many are concerned the money is running out. Comedian John Stewart last month criticized Congress for not taking action. Today's 402 to 12 vote sends the bill to the Senate. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he'll call for a vote soon. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's hearing on Capitol Hill, scheduled for next week, may be delayed. There are concerns over the short length of the scheduled hearings before two committees. Lawmakers are negotiating with Mueller's representatives and the Justice Department over the format. The delay might be in exchange for more time to question Mueller.
Chinese demand for American goods is tanking. New numbers released today indicate China's imports from the United States fell 31% in June. That report comes amid a months-long trade war between Beijing and Washington, which has affected billions of dollars worth of goods. Exporters on both sides are paying the price. Much of the disagreement surrounds how the Chinese government supports technological companies. Last month, President Trump and China's Xi Jinping agreed to resume talks on the issues. Tensions are rising between Britain and Iran. Today, the British Navy says it is sending a destroyer to the Persian Gulf. Tehran is demanding the UK release an Iranian oil tanker seized last week. The ship is suspected of breaching European Union sanctions by carrying a shipment of Iranian crude oil to Syria. Iran denies the claim and accuses London of playing a dangerous game. It also threatens payback if the ship is not released. The first shipment of a Russian missile defense system has arrived in Turkey despite warnings from the United States. The first shipment of the S-400 defense system was delivered to an air base near Turkey's capital, Ankara. The deal costs a reported $2 billion. Officials in the U.S. have strongly urged their fellow NATO ally to pull back from the deal. They say if not, Turkey runs the risk of economic sanctions. There may be hope for an end to the political crisis in Venezuela. Initial talks were held this week between the government and the opposition. Officials on both sides say they've made progress. More discussions are scheduled for next week. The country has undergone months of upheaval, including an attempt by opposition leader Juan Guaido to lead a rebellion against President Nicolas Maduro's socialist government. The talks are being led by Norway. A church leader in Colombia has a plan to counter recent violence in his city. He's going to bless the entire area. Bishop Ruben Montoya says he is going to bless the cathedral city of Buenaventura while riding in a fire truck. He also will bring with him a statue of St. Bonaventure. The city has been besieged by recent kidnappings and murders. And in France, faith leaders are concerned over the growing number of attacks on churches, including vandalism, theft, and arson. The onslaught is leading to questions about French culture and the place of Christianity in the country. The Conference of French Bishops says from January to March, there were 228 violent anti-Christian acts. Several dozen migrants took, took over a building today in Paris. They organized a sit-in to push the government to help undocumented immigrants. The protest was held in Paris Pantheon, a mausoleum which houses the remains of several noteworthy French citizens. The demonstrators later were removed by police. Coming up, analysis of President Trump's social media summit from one of the attendees. Welcome back, I'm Wyatt Goolsby, in for Lauren Ashburn. A report out of South Carolina indicates Miracle Hill Ministries, an evangelical Protestant foster care provider, is changing its policies. It will now work with Catholic and Orthodox families, provided they agree with the agency's doctrinal statement. The organization's leader said the change is because he did not want to start a fight among Christian denominations. A leading pro-life organization says it's weighing its legal options after Penn Interest removes its account. Live Action founder and president Lila Rose described the censorship at yesterday's White House social media summit. 
and they accused us of spreading conspiracy theories and misinformation with our pro-life content with no evidence. And then news media groups picked up the narrative and spread it around. Meanwhile, abortion groups, including abortion clinics, post freely on Pinterest. Rose also says, quote, this double standard and bias is a growing problem in big tech. Joining me now is Allison Centafonte, Director of Strategic Communications for Live Action. Allison also took part in yesterday's White House Summit. Allison, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. This isn't the first time Live Action has faced social media censorship. Your group has had ongoing issues with Twitter. Mm -hmm. We've reported on that. What are, in general, just some of the biggest challenges you face on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned Pinterest. Pinterest labeled liveaction.org as a pornography site, which is outrageous. We are a pro-life site and then they banned us from the platform. Uh, Twitter has completely banned Lila Rose, who you just saw, and live action from advertising, putting any money behind our messages, our life-saving messages on the platform. And for those that don't know, live action is an educational platform. We educate on the reality of, of abortion and life and options for women. So you now have these big tech companies deciding that their viewers will not get to hear from the nation's largest pro-life group online with over three million followers. They want to suppress that message. And we've got emails from them showing that. It's a double standard mm -hmm. because Planned Parenthood, NARAL, NAPRO, uh, or excuse me, uh, Repro Action can all still advertise on these platforms. Let me follow up with you on the idea of advertising because your organization points out, as you say, Planned Parenthood, all those other pro-abortion groups are able to advertise. Do you see this as an effort in a way to steer the conversation in a more specifically liberal direction that's one that's specifically based on money, not focused on the pro-life message? Well, it shouldn't be. They should be looking at our money as equal to the money of Planned Parenthood. If we're going to put money behind our messaging, they should be fine with that. It should be neutral in allowing people's uh, opinions, our ideologies, to, to debate in the public square. We don't have one anymore, right, a public square. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We are engaging. And instead, we have had Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, testify before Congress, Mark Zuckerberg as well, make claims that they don't do this. When called to task, they say they don't. But we have emails where they said, look, if you continue live action to keep talking about defunding Planned Parenthood, you're not going to be allowed to play on this platform. And that's outrageous, particularly the defunding Planned Parenthood line. They are taking an ideological position on life. And meanwhile, Planned Parenthood gets to use our taxpayer dollars and continue to advertise. So we're fighting it. We're so grateful that the president's paying attention. This administration is paying attention. There's great members of Congress like Josh Hawley and others who are stepping up. And we need to make sure that people know it's not just for us. It's for everyone. Free speech is everyone's issue. And we would be the first to make sure if anyone on the other side was being suppressed or censored, that that would stop as well. Just to follow up on President Trump, he announced yesterday that he's directing his administration to explore all regulatory legislative solutions to protect free speech and what he calls free speech rights of all Americans. Um, government can only do so much. I mean, what, do you think this is going to have a big impact, the president's statements and what they're working on, or what more needs to be done, do you think? Well, I think our first step is proving that this is really happening. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday's summit did a little bit of that. It allowed people like Lyle Rose and Live Action to come and say, this is really happening. Here's the proof. Here's the image of the preemie baby at 23 weeks old on life support mm -hmm. that Facebook called nudity. And they said, well, you can't run this before an election. It was just a preemie that said, will we protect life on it? Mm -hmm. And in our country, we're not protecting life. And so we want to fix that. So the first step is saying, 
is it happening and proving that? We're right now kind of talking to the Washington Post and others to prove it's actually happening. It's not people just crying wolf. And secondly, we are looking at options in whether that's calling people to testify, which Congress is doing. The president has said he will invite them to come and meet with him at the White House. Ultimately, we want them to do the right thing. We want Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest to fall in line with the First Amendment and protect everyone's First Amendment right to free speech. So many important messages there, both pro-life and important to bring the suppression of that to the surface and let our everyday citizens know about it. Mm -hmm. Allison Centafonte, Director of Strategic Communications for Live Action, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Up next, a pro-life teacher tells us about her fight against the National Education Association and an inside look at the restoration of a 16th century church in Rome. Welcome back, I'm Wyatt Goolsby in for Lauren Ashburn. A teacher at a Catholic school in South Carolina whose contract was not renewed due to her support for abortion on social media has filed a lawsuit. Elizabeth Cox claims her First Amendment rights were violated. She had been a teacher at Bishop England High in Charleston for 16 years. On social media, Cox shared several posts and links expressing pro-abortion views. Her profile listed the Catholic school as her employer. The nation's largest union for educators moves to adopt new language declaring its support for abortion. Delegates at last week's National Education Association Convention in Houston moved to adopt a new business item stating, quote, the NEA vigorously opposes all attacks on the right to choose and stands on the fundamental right to abortion under Roe v. Wade. Joining me now by Skype from Midland, Texas, is Rebecca Friedrichs, founder of Four Kids in Country, a coalition of parents, teachers, and faith leaders. Rebecca has been a public school teacher in California for 28 years. Rebecca, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks so much for taking time out of your vacation to talk with us. As a pro-life woman and an educator, what concerns you the most about this new resolution? Well, everything about it concerns me. You know, the NEA for decades has been pushing a very far left agenda, including full term abortion. And uh, teachers like myself have been deeply concerned about this. They use our, our money, they use our profession, our trusted profession uh, to push an agenda. And uh, that's not what a union is supposed to be about. So I'm deeply concerned. Well, why do you think this language was proposed and then voted on? Well, the teachers union has actually been pushing for this sort of language for decades. I have teacher friends who've worked within the NEA representative assembly, which is their, um, their group of about 8,000 teachers who are supposed to represent all of us. And those of us who are conservative, Christians, pro-life, get into these NEA meetings and we're bullied. And we try to push back on their agenda and anyone who speaks out against it is harshly silenced. So, um, you know, the majority of teachers, even those who might even be pro-choice, the majority of teachers do not agree with abortion all the way up to birth. And so this is a very radical agenda pushed off the backs of teachers who don't agree with it. I want to follow up on an earlier point that you made, because for conservative educators like yourself, uh, I want to ask you if, if you feel like there's any room within the NEA for your viewpoints. I mean, there's, is there any way for you to actually sneak in, get in, try to uh, get your values in place? 
You know, I'm so glad you asked that question because I thought there was, and that's why I served as a union leader for three years. I was on the executive board of my local association. And what I discovered when I went to a state level conference was that anyone who speaks out against a hard left radical agenda of the teachers unions, as I said before, we're bullied and we're silenced. So there is absolutely no room within the NEA or the state-level teachers associations for the hearts and, and the beliefs of loving teachers across this country, who, by the way, are paying these unions billions of dollars annually. So uh, in my opinion, teachers need to stand together at their local level, and, and we need to say goodbye to these state and national unions who are misrepresenting us. Do you think there's some sort of conflict of interest in terms of when it comes to money or politics? Absolutely. I don't think a union should be involved in politics at all. They're supposedly there to make sure that we have fair uh, working environments. But unfortunately, these unions are getting involved in so much political uh, um, just advocacy in all sorts of ways that they're actually destroying the teaching profession, making our classrooms dangerous, uh, bringing harm to the very children that we're hired to serve, as in this case. They, they're 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 in danger in the womb, my future students. What do you think then, noting how bad this is, what do you think are options for educators who don't want this sort of union representation? Well, thank God, last June 2018, we won a case at the United States Supreme Court. It was called Janus versus AFSCME. That case has given all teachers, in fact, all government employees, the freedom to stop paying unions today. They can opt out right now and stop paying. Now, they have to know they will get bullied. The teachers unions will isolate them, call them free riders and all of these things. But if we stand on our moral principle and say, I'm not gonna let my money go to the slaughter of my future students or to the damage of my own profession or my country, we can all stand together. And another thing I've learned talking to thousands of teachers across the country, I represented them in another lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court in 2016. And all these teachers have told me, I really like standing together in a local association, but I resent the state and national unions who politicize us. Teachers, we can stand together and decertify them and just have a local association. So there's a lot of good options out there. This is such an important issue and one that's not often brought to light. So we're glad that you came on here and were able to talk with us about it. Rebecca Friedrichs, founder for Kids and Country. Thanks so much. Thank you. Finally tonight, there are more than 900 churches in Rome and many need to be restored to bring them back to their original glory. That includes one dedica dedicated to a saint whose life was divided between temptation and rigorous writing. EWTN Rome Bureau Chief Alan Holdren has more. In the heart of Rome stands a 16th century church dedicated to Saint Jerome, one of the most important figures in the faith. He's credited with translating most of the Bible into Latin. Inside the church, the faithful can find artwork dedicated to his life. The greatest challenge? Making sure the artistic styles from different time periods will look good together. Some of the frescoes were designed by Giovanni Guerra 400 years ago. They depict various moments in the life of the first century saint. Father Marco Duran is vice-rector of the Pontifical College of St. Jerome. He describes this work showing Jerome resting on a rock, talking with doctors of the law, discussing difficult passages of the Holy Scripture. 
The art is full of symbolism. A lion is always found next to the saint. A snake and scorpion signify the temptation Jerome endured before being baptized. The restoration is expected to be complete by the end of October, bringing the church back to its original splendor. In Rome, Alan Holdren, EWTN News Nightly. And our thanks to Alan Holdren and our Rome team for that report. So much incredible church-related art. And on that positive note, we conclude our newscast for tonight and this week. We thank you for watching. For the entire EWTN News Nightly team, I'm Wyatt Goolsby. We'll be back on Monday with more news from a Catholic perspective. Good night and God bless.